to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete! How dare you introduce the son of Odin? Wow. I guess uh, I guess you're fired up for today's uh, movie as we count down to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. dropping in, is it a mere two weeks at this point, Pete? It is, it is. Well, I am Pete, and uh, I just want to remind you that today's episode is uh, brought to you by the good people of the Hubel Telescope, as well as the New Mexico Board of Tourism. <laughs> ah, well done. You know, the Hubel, so, so inspiring. Uh, and Pete, let's, uh, let's start to, to power through this. I, a, a little... Uh, a little bird told me, perhaps it was a holographic version of a bird, uh, told me that we actually might have differing opinions uh, on the movie Thor, which, of course, we are we are discussing today. So what is first on our agenda? Well, we're going to take a look at the film proper here. We're going to take it apart in our uh, debrief. Um, and just outside of the two-week um here for the premiere of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC. Uh, no more fitting time than to look at film that really, really opened up their universe. We get significant off-world action um, in Thor. And, uh, you know, going back to the uh, Hubel telescope for a moment, I, I did not know they actually uh, used quite a bit of the Hubble telescope uh, footage to generate the um, the Rainbow Bridge, the uh, da, 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 Bifrost, the Bifrost uh, sequences there, which were uh, which, which were pretty trippy. Yeah, I, I go back and forth as to the appropriateness of uh, of uh, of three D. You know, is it a gimmick? Is it always used effectively? Is it used as a gimmick by you know studios? This is a movie that I regret having not seen in 3D just because I feel like and having seen I don't think I saw this in theaters. I feel like I, I feel like I may have, but I don't think I did. But just the full big color explosion in 3D must have been just a, a mighty thing to see indeed. I saw this on um, home video as well, and I was surprised it was as good as it was. I went in with low expectations Um you know, moving towards the Avengers, I wanted to make sure I had gone through all of the movies. And I caught this one and I was very pleasantly surprised. It's so different from all the other Marvel movies. And again, because of its otherworldly setting and, you know, we have the uh, the shining city of Asgard, that civilization that looks like a pipe organ and uh, with floaty things and spinny things and spinny floaty things and, and stuff like that. Well, and you know why that is, Pete, don't you? I don't. Because in Asgard, what you would call science and what you would call magic, they're uh, one and the same. They, they, they are. They are indeed. And they're also all apparently Norse myths that, uh, yeah, that uh, stupid Vikings thought um, – you know, these aliens were humans, stupid Vikings. Coming soon for Marvel, uh, Marvel Phase 4, Jesus Christ, actually an alien? <laughs> That's when you know they've jumped the shark. Yeah, but, uh, but I'll tell you what, I think 
would it, it it works it works surprisingly well um not the least of which is aided by uh kenneth Branagh's fantastic direction of something that could easily have folded under its own weight um you know to get the foremost shakespearean actor and director of his day to direct a superhero movie about norse myth um you know was inspired indeed and uh you know, he really tackled it head on and, um, you know, a little disappointed he's not returning for the sequel. Um, the buzz on the sequel is through the roof right now. It really, really is. So I'm, I'm very interested to see where that goes. And in, that's in part to the inclusion. And we'll get to this in the dossier in a little bit. But of our principal villain in the piece, he's become a real be- breakout character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, Pete, you mentioned uh, Kenneth Branagh there. I mean, we've spoken in previous podcasts as we go through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, we've spoken about um, it was was so you know was Ed Norton the biggest star at the time of his casting, and so on and so forth. Kenneth Branagh has a a critical um, credibility to his directing, even though you wouldn't think of him as a you know as a huge director. He was the second person. And only one person out of three total to be nominated for Best Director before the age of 30. Uh, he was preceded by none other than Orson Welles. And, uh, and after Branagh came uh, John Singleton for, for one of your favorite movies, Boys in the Hood. Um, yeah. he what also, was Branagh's nod for? Uh, Henry V. Okay. Which, uh, I mean, certainly is solid. I yeah, think yeah, it yeah. was, when it came out, I think it was kind of like, ooh, a Shakespeare revival. It was riding a little bit of a tide like that. Right. But Branagh's Hamlet has been called the, uh, the greatest uh, Shakespeare movie of all time, and it is unparalleled at four and a half hours. So yeah, for, oh, yeah. It's complete. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think, too, there's a little bit, you know, Branagh's, um, Branagh's Denmark and, and that... Um, throne room in that castle i think certainly are i, I don't want to say spatially evocative because obviously you know a throne room is a throne room and the you know the long hall where the tables are laid you know those are all kind of similar but there's just you think of the scene where you first see hemsworth as thor as he's on his way to get uh, to get yes. anointed it just has this 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 energy to it that is so absolutely wonderful and um you know, an energy that that Branagh certainly can can evoke. The word is scope, Matt. It it really is, and I think that dovetails perfectly with the hubris of the character. You know, he's uh, he's throwing uh, Mew Mew in the air, <laughs> and uh, you know, really letting people see that he's this braggadocious character the disapproving father or quietly disapproving father looking on who we know is later going to banish him. And, you know, it's, it's this whole redemptive cycle that, um, you know, hadn't been done as well. You know, we talked with Iron Man two last time about the demon in a bottle thing and everything there, but that never gets as weighty as the, the family drama, you know, and, and everything going on within, um, Thor here, um, you know, moving ahead. And, and again, why we're doing this because of Marvel's agents of shield, but here shield unfolds itself, unpacks itself for the first time as an organization 
And again, we see the scope. They cordon off the area around Mew Mew and um, they've got an on lock and, uh, you know, just, just some, some nice, uh, you know, texture to that organization that I'm looking to see filled out even further on the TV show. Uh, Pete, I absolutely agree. I felt like, you know, we keep having these discussions week after week of how, how do these movies stand up upon initial viewing in light of the movies that came before them and then, and then now in the light of the movies that have come after them, particularly Avengers. This movie added to that, I feel like this was the prequel, if you will, or this was the proof that you could take the shield bits from this movie and cut it together and say, all right, studio, here's what we already kind of have. We don't have a script yet, but here's the day in, day out absolutely centered on clark gregg where he's just kind of there he is punching in to work again oh it's some weird you know hammer that nobody can pick up hey is that giant robot one of starks it's just another day you know where it's like you know some guys it's like oh they took my red stapler or oh another report to fill out for for colson it's just like oh another giant robot thing that spits fire oh we better get out of the way again well i mean sorry go ahead that's okay. The the son of Cole and his jackbooted thugs here are, you know, strong supporting players um, to get Hawkeye in there. You know, granted, the film comes out a year before Adventures, uh, uh, Adventures, excuse me, The Avengers. I would take it even further that this is a true prequel to The Avengers in, you know, uh, between getting Thor, getting the other universal idea um, out there, and then the post-credit sequence. Um, But to get the guy that, you know, is going to be another player in that film who was really starting to branch out and get a a filmic identity of his own and Jeremy Renner and to get him in one scene and, and to establish some identity there, again, their game plan was tight as all get out. And that's what excites me the most heading into agents of shield is you know a year from now what are we gonna have noticed uh they dropped in there before a thor 2 before a captain america 2 before a guardians of the galaxy and to look back with that hindsight and see wow they they spun it even tighter yeah, and I mean, for all the criticism that we gave last week to Iron Man 2, particularly like, oh, why does Coulson keep leaving? There's just this, you know, if you kind of willfully suspend the the fact you've seen the movie before, put yourself back in those shoes, when it's just like all of a sudden, you know, the, the hammer lands and um, you're just like, oh, my goodness, this was the thing that was going on in Iron Man 2 behind the scenes. And then Coulson shows up in, in a repeat of that that um, secret scene from Iron Man 2. And all of a sudden, it's just like the world feels so much bigger, despite the fact that we've got S.H.I.E.L.D. references in Hulk and, you know, and so on and so forth. And, you know, even, you know, uh, uh, Nick Fury showing up at the end of the first Iron Man, all of that. This is where it's just, you say, oh, yes, this this isn't just a cute throwaway here and there. Like, it's really starting to work now. And... It's just, it's just fabulous, and of course, it's all centered with uh, our favorite Clark Gregg. I think the casting of this Marvel film exceeds any of the others. Okay, apart from the fact that they were stockpiling Oscar winners in um, Natalie 
Portman coming off for uh, Black Swan and, you know, uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins. They just, you know, they get better and better with the choices that they make. And, you know, we've talked about how John C. Riley and Glenn Close and all these other um, actors that you would think, what what does one have to do with another? They've never worked together and, and who they continue to bring in. And we know that Marvel is not the greatest in terms of, you know, um, negotiating with its talent, but actors want to be in these movies. I mean, consider that you've got comedic talent like Kat Dennings and you've got an unrecognizable and really um, not uh, recognizable even from um, an oral standpoint, Colm Fior, who is just a wonderful character actor. You know, he, he chews up everything he ever does. That's the uh, the frost giant for those. That's that's Laffy. Absolutely. Okay. You got Idris Elba. You've got, you know, um, uh, scars guard, you know, you've just got a, a ton of people. And then Hiddleston who, you know, he could retire off these three movies playing Loki to this point. To the point where I'm beginning to worry, are they going to feel the need or want to spin him off, um, given the groundswell? I mean, Matt, we're we're three-plus weeks away from New York Comic Con, the, the real Comic Con, as we say over here on the East Coast. And, you know, the over-under <laughs> under on the, uh, the Loki pool right now the number of loki's we will see in cosplay male female both is just off the chain right now yeah i mean last year at new york comic-con easily variations of loki was the most popular um costume and none particularly lousy you know uh, some were very very ornate there was one many women too as loki there's i get his attraction to women and he's the bad boy and he's also kind of in this movie, we see that he's kind of sympathetic. Like, not that the yes. movie ever becomes kind of an adoption drama, but right. I, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I, I am not adopted, but I can kind of, I can. Well, I, actually, Matt, this is the point in the program where we're going to tell you you are. Am I a frost giant too? You might be. Wow. More later. That explains why when I go out and play in the snow, I don't feel cold. Um, That's just your lack of a heart. But anyway. <laughs> um. You know, it's this notion of, um, you know, we on the outside looking in, oh, there's an adopted child. How nice that they're in a home that definitely wants them and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, I, I, I went to school with someone who was adopted. And I remember very distinctly in the sixth grade her saying, you know, it's like, oh, what are your goals? And when you're 18 or some sort of writing assignment, I remember her very distinctly saying, I want to go to Columbia and find my birth mother. And this is somebody who lived down the street from me. Mm-hmm. And it was like perfectly nice parents and so forth. And it was, uh, there was a hole there that I did not understand. I didn't even know existed. And uh, one that I, I don't entirely understand now because it's outside the scope of my experience. But now I know the hole exists. And you see that with Loki where on the one hand you go, hey, dude, yeah, life's so awful. You're the number two prince in like the, be- the best realm of all the universe. Flip side, hard is where the home is. And... You know, he he feels lied to. He feels betrayed. He feels like 
all this stuff of being the number two prince has always been a lie in that he was never going to he was never on the king track uh, because of his blood. Um, so just a just a fabulous, as you say, a fabulous take on the character. On top of that, I was struck in the first half hour of the movie. There is scene after scene where I'm sure Hiddleston was glad to be there, glad to be on the call sheet, glad to be working with Sir Anthony Hopkins and, you know, Sir Bre- Sir Kenneth and all of that. But there's scene after scene where his entire function in the first half hour is basically like reaction shot. Whoa, look at Thor. Father, I no, get interrupted. And he's just kind of, a, 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 you know, an extra, essentially, or, 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 right. or a, a puffed up extra. Yes, it's because the focus is on Thor and, uh, and Odin at that point, And they're they have to have Loki around so we can better understand him later. But I was just, uh, he's such a big character in Avengers that to have him used in such a little way in the first half hour of this film was something I, I, I found surprising. Well, since it seems we've moved through the majority of global reaction of the film in the debrief, let's let's get out the dossier here and talk about a detailed look at this bad guy. Uh, again, a two-tier structure, um, and it's not the frost giants we need to fear, but it's a frost giant in Loki. Um, you know, we we get this reveal that his skin turns blue. What am I? And I was really glad, like you said, it didn't become the adoption situation. It merely became, you know, uh, why did you take me? Um, That kind of thing. My first watch, I was a little confused with what was happening to Hopkins during the confrontation scene. Is he dying? Is he having a heart attack? Is this grief? What was this? You know, the Odin sleep, I think, um, even on rewatch here is kind of an amorphous type of concept. Yeah. I think in, there's one line where it's like, and, and I'm obviously kind of, uh, you know, editorializing here, but it's like, you never know when the olden sleep's going to come. And he, he was putting off the old, the Odin sleep. And then the Odin sleep came to him and who knows how long it's going to be. So it's kind of like, Oh, well I'm glad it happened in the middle of a climactic fight with your son who just found out he was adopted. Like, yeah. That's timing, kids. You never know when the plot device is is going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> um, you know, but we get these frost giants established early on, these Jotuns of Jotunheim. And um, uh, they are what they are. They're big blue guys who have uh, an upside down running uh, beastie of some sort who's, you know, giant. And uh, Thor flies through the back of his mouth but uh comb fewer as uh laufey later established as uh his father and we never get the dad it's me i'm back i'm i'm blue too just like you you know instead he he wipes them out and and that to me illustrates what this loki character is all about you know he's he's gonna lure you you know, Matt, I think we rightfully malign the number of reaction shots early on, but only because there's such great payoff later in the film. And when he lets himself go from his brother's hand, from Thor's hand, and then goes through whatever he goes through that leads him 
to the events of the Avengers and this change that he's been through, um, you know, it works. Yeah. And, uh, you know, while the effects for, for the frost giants are not great kind of for, for that whole sequence, um, you raise an excellent point, which is, you know, we're, we spend maybe in the first, um, first third, first 40% of the movie kind of wanting to be sympathetic to Loki. Like he's not the one who's got too much braggadocio, like unlike his brother, he's not the one who, you know, at least in first viewing uh, has caused any trouble at all. He's just kind of like the good brother. And then, Hey, I'm sympathetic to this whole adoption thing that nobody ever told you about. Um, but the, the movie does a really excellent job of saying, no, he is a villain. There's those little references there to, uh, you know, Thor says, oh, you've always been the trickster. You've always had a silver tongue. So it's kind of like, no, he's just a bad guy. There's some sort of alternate movie going on um, with the ice giants where they're just like hanging out in their perfectly beautiful home that they dig. And they're, you know, like they're happy in ice giant land um, doing their own thing, trying to protect their own borders. is kind of like, you know the the line between them and Asgard is at a is at a, a comfortable stalemate, uh, and there's no war and that sort of thing. Then you know, and it's not that Loki feels particular to anyone. He's just evil. The the family that he is from, the Ice Giants, you know, kill them all. The the family that took him in, the family in his heart, I would hope, well, kill them all too. So it's it's you don't get much more baddie than that. I'll kill both my families. <laughs> Definitely. Um, you know, I had kind of hoped that, uh, we'd get a little bit more from a standpoint of, well, why did he let, I mean, I mean, we know why he let the frost giants in and he says it, you know, I, I wanted to delay my brother's reign a little bit, but we never get at how he did it. You know, we know the Bifrost, we don't know about the secret ways. And, and they remain uh, hidden to us. So maybe it's something that can be brought about in the sequel here. Maybe it's something with dark matter or dark energy, you know, given the title of the uh, of the sequel, The Dark World. But um, I just felt that a little convenient from, um, you know, a, a, a plot and a character uh, perspective like, oh, I know things that you don't. Bah, 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 bah. Well... I mean, is it convenient? Yeah. Flip side, you know, I mean, do we need to be tied? It's such a, it's such an out there place that it's not like, it's not like, oh, this is a castle, which was built to prevent people from attacking it. And did you know that we have a little secret entrance in the back? Like, it's not like, we don't know the rules of physics that, that, that govern Asgard and govern what I assume is some sort of wormhole activity. Um, to zip from place to place. So I'll kind of give it a, uh, give it a, a, a gimme there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly, uh, something you can gloss over, but you know, um, the, the, the good thing is next week we will not be talking about a two tier, uh, you know, dual villain, uh, situation where the first bad guy winds up not being as bad as the bad guy himself. You know, we'll, we'll, We'll just be right at that. Pete, we'll be fighting Nazi types next week. But what's in store now for this week? Well, let's talk a little bit about our level seven theories as far as Asgard and New Mexico are concerned. 
you know it's the the setting of new mexico is is visually nice i i know they did some shooting in new mexico i was curious as to whether the um whether the destruction of the town whether that was a real town whether you built you know kind of a you know just a storefront main street and filled out the rest digitally because it kind of on the one hand it looked like a really cool like I haven't been to New Mexico, but I've been to like Boulder, Colorado and those kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say hippy dippy, but those kind of like, hey, when we're done with our run, let's go have a papaya. And uh, then I heard there's a great, uh, you know, uh, statuary that we can go visit. Like it's that kind of, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know what you call that. It's not quite hipster, but that kind of um, vibe is what I got from the town. Because it was constructed, question mark, because it was the perfect like, hey, this is just where intellectuals come and you might go to the coffee shop. You might be, have a really great used bookstore uh, or you might take over the old car dealership at the end of town and turn it into your like space research, uh, you know, spot. Um, right. But I dug the whole New Mexico setting. Yeah, I mean, um, certainly unusual and it blends very well with you know, the richness of Asgard and the sparse landscape and, you know, the ability with that area in particular, as far as extra uh, research and everything there, Matt, what I want to talk about is I think in this film, we already got uh, a taste of phase two. So we have uh, Odin's, treasure room that contains things like the casket of ancient winters that the frost giants are anxious to get back. Uh, Mew Mew at one point is, uh, you know, there as well until Thor is ready to wield it. Did you see anything else in that area? Um, I don't think so. I'm I'm suddenly thinking back to the movie, thinking back to trivia I've read. I have no idea where you're going, but I'm 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 tantalized. Well, we know that the bad guy that's teased for us in the post-credit sequence to Avengers is Thanos. And he is very closely associated in the Marvel universe with the Infinity Gauntlet. And this is something that uh, contains several gems. It's very big right now in the Marvel comic universe. In fact, to the point where there's a lot of concern that there's going to be a time crisis. There is a time gem of one of the six gems on the Infinity Gauntlet. And uh, it's gone missing. Um, So there is a lot of belief that the... um, Infinity Gauntlet is going to be the MacGuffin, if you will, of either Guardians of the Galaxy or Avengers 2 um, Age of Ultron. When, um, as Thanos becomes a very central figure uh, toward everything moving forward. Now, I'm with you. I'm with you with the backstory, Pete. The connection (laughs) to Thor is what? It is in the background in the treasure room. It is clearly seen ah. in the treasure room. There are screen caps and whatnot. Wow. So given how tightly they've followed their plans to this point, I have to believe, you know, come on, it's Chekhov's gun, man. You don't you don't show uh, a big gold uh, 
you know, gem encrusted uh, glove unless you mean to have some purple guy uh, put it on and uh, hit the protagonist with it um, in your sequel uh, two years from now. That's oh. Kadalar's gun, by the way. Wow. Kadalar's glove. That is, that's, that's that principle. Yeah, I'm just, I uh, took a quick peek online here, and sure enough, uh, is that when the Frost Giants first come in yes. there? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Snazzy, snazzy stuff. I'm going to have to go back and watch that on the on the TV properly. That would just be fantastic, because that would also be an excuse to um, uh, possibly have him show up in Thor 2, if not to just kind of um, spend a little time in Asgard uh, to kick off Avengers 2. Uh, that's 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 good stuff there, Pete. Nice catch. No problem, man. That's why keep me around. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete, do you have any other level seven stuff? I don't. I just think that you know, other than that, things are pretty surface here. And, and when we say that, you know, we were talking about having a, a bad guy who is a trickster god, and you know, constantly looking to uh, usurp uh, the protagonist. But I think things are, are pretty straightforward. I, I think we've been given a glimpse of uh, where later phase two uh, should go. And, um, you know, the, the shield stuff in this, as um, extensive as it is, and they clearly get more play than any of the previous movies to this point, I think that um you know it's a wonderful uh portend for what we're going to get on a weekly basis well and, and also uh, i think the movie is a bit of a uh, of a blueprint for the marvel movies in general and how you might extrapolate stories out into agents of shield you know the romance on uh, romance in entertainment is so cheap it's so quick you know a couple of scenes together ah then they are in love and smoochy and all that this is a movie that that is almost um, chased in its romance. They push the kiss until the very end of their time together. And then the movie just kind of ends with he just wants to go back, but he can't. And kind of this, right. this, this yearning heart. Um, and it's just, I think one of the great strengths of the movie, and I don't know, I don't know how what I'm about to describe how it actually has the emotional effect that it does but to kind of end on this note of and he loved her and could not be with her then Branna cuts to black for a second essentially ending that story but not ending the movie then to come in with just these spectacular credits that we've seen spectacular credits before these aren't i mean these are quite good with the swirling around the galaxies but i don't know how it is that you hit the climax of the movie in terms of uh, their romance before he before he leaves Earth, uh, then kind of the the um, dramatic or action uh, climax in terms of the fight with Loki and you know Odin is back and Loki lets himself go and the the bridges you can have your falling action of the you know the dramatically speaking of the the bridge can't be fixed and you're kind of you're tailing off it's kind of like oh and they can't be together cut to black credits and all of a sudden the credits just lift the movie up not that it was weak in any way but right. it kind of elevates the movie to this to this fourth act of of just you know whatever small sins the movie might have this this washes over them it's just this fantastic end and then you get to the secret scene where you go oh my goodness we're a year out or we're, we're you know we're getting so closer and closer to the avengers and it's now all really starting to come together 
Right. I mean, again, that that true prequel idea and the post credit sequence is directed by Joss Whedon, um, you know, bringing in Nick Fury, Samuel Jackson, and, you know, uh, helping us realize, you know, what the MacGuffin will be at some point um, with the Tesseract. And, you know, and then in Captain America, you know, it gets fleshed out there. So you can completely see by the time we're talking you know, Avengers 2 in May of 2015 that, you know, something like the Infinity Gauntlet or who knows what, you know, will be uh, front and center in terms of the story. Yeah, I mean, this movie Thor and its relationship to Captain America, which we'll discuss next week. I mean, it's I I think you used the phrase a couple weeks ago that this is the the second half of phase one or part two of phase one. and just this notion of, you know, all right, there's this like, you know, all this stuff from out there in the great beyond. Um, finish the movie by way of the alternate credits with the um, with the Tesseract. And then it's not just, oh, you understand the history of the Tesseract in Captain America. But it's like they're in a uh, a Norse or Viking setting where, where they find it. Yeah. So it's just kind of this like, oh, the gods who visited this this planet in the beginning of Thor are the ones that it's that left it for then the Norse and then the, you know, red skull and uh, so on and so forth. It's just absolutely, it, it's astonishing how these two movies uh, bind together. And again, to imagine that they're doing this in a filmic sense, now open the Avenue of TV where something could happen in the film TV could play for play with it for a little bit, and then it could come back to the films. And you know what? This is a movie, particularly with um, so little Shield and, and no Coulson in uh, in Captain America. Right. But like this is the movie where you can have, you know, the other realm of existence, where they're walking around on a rainbow bridge in space. And still be able to, you know, and the guy who, even when Thor is here, you know, when once he has his powers, flying and giant fire robot and kind of that otherworldliness right next to S.H.I.E.L.D. and Coulson and the very kind of meager work a day. Oh, here we go again with some crazy, weird thing that's going on. Um, I mean, Coulson holds his own against Thor in that interrogation scene. Okay, fine, Thor without powers, but... Colson, I don't want to say he steals the show because, but but they're certainly very very evenly matched. One guy has his name above the credits and is the title character. The other guy is like, you know, in his like second or third Marvel movie, and uh, oh, you might have enjoyed him in New Adventures of Old Christine. Like, this is the movie where we go, oh my goodness, we have potential in this guy that right. isn't just like, oh, he's like the common man thread. People love this guy, and this guy can deliver. Yeah, and I think it springs too from you know, abilities as a, as a writer, you know, he gets how to weave ideas together. Not that most actors don't, but you you just really get a deft touch from uh, Clark Rack. Indeed. On that note, Pete, should we move on to decrypted transmissions? Yes. I I don't have any. Do you? I do. We got a tweet as, as, uh, as previewed last week, we got a tweet from friend of the podcast, Michelle, that's ink as rain on Twitter. And um, she uh, said that the podcast thus far was a great listen, and uh, she wanted to make sure that we said something. So I will read 
uh, her words uh, word for word here. Okay. In your Thor review, so here we are, please note that Tom Hiddleston is amazing and adorable. She says, <laughs> I'm counting on you. So there you go. Uh, I don't, I, I, I can't exactly speak personally to Hiddleston's ability to be adorable. I can report to you all out there that uh, Michelle and seemingly every, uh, or many other people of the female variety and probably some other of the male variety as well, all find, you know, many of those, if not all of them, do find Hiddleston adorable. I certainly can agree, and I bet you can too, Pete, that Hiddleston is in this movie amazing. Amazingly adorable. Or wow. adorably amazing. Depends really on how I structure uh, my sentence. Well, there you go. <laughs> Uh, if, like Michelle, you'd like to have your have your words shared on the podcast, particularly, you know, that we know that when we started the podcast in the summer, it was without a, I don't want to say not a ton of buzz for the show, but a lot of people were like, oh, that TV show that I want to watch will be on, but it's June. That's cool. It's been great to see more and more of you listening. Please take this opportunity. Be a VIP like Michelle. Michelle gets front of the line pass here. She's a pal from our old uh, Alcatraz podcast. Make sure that when you know when this show, Agents of Shield, takes off, and when this podcast is is uh, is you know, hopefully the the shining star amongst the Agents of Shield podcasts, make sure you get your get your voice heard early. So you can tweet us at phgeekpodcast. You can send an email to phgeekpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on the webpage shieldpodcast.blogspot.com. And lastly, you can literally hear your voice on the podcast if you call 732-707-1815. And you can leave a message for up to three minutes with our uh, Shield agent, aka Google Voice. And uh, as long as you That's don't Agent say anything, V. Agent V, indeed. <laughs> um, as long as you don't say anything too sweary, uh, we would be happy to play it on the podcast. <laughs> I frankly, Pete, look forward to calling you up one day and saying, oh, my goodness, you need to hear the sweary message that somebody left. Um, you say that we this can't play like the podcast. This, it's, it's, it's never happened before. <laughs> On the voice line? No, although we definitely we, we've had a few uh, bullesses in the China shop come after us once or twice. But, uh, you know, those are our, our long, long time listeners. They know who, who we're talking about. Best thing that ever happened to us. Uh, yes, 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 absolutely. Thank you, Mystery Bull S in the China Shop, whoever you are. Well, Pete, I feel like this this podcast has almost been like Thor. Not that there have been ups and downs, but we've had our we've gone through our different sections of the story, and I feel like we're now about to to wrap things up. And I just feel elevated with energy, so excited. Agents of Shield two weeks away. Um. A great Marvel movie discussed today. Another great one tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. Next week. And uh, the closer we get to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Pete, I know we have some uh, some of our older podcasts that we're going to, you know, you and I will kind of uh, record a little uh, introduction and a little, you know, little chit-chat with our, with our listeners now. But, um, you know, we'll kind of replay some of those to talk about Avengers and uh, and whatnot. So, Things are kicking off, man. This is this is uh, this is the exciting time right here. We're we're getting closer closer to that that Mjolnir meow, and we're we're getting ready to pull here. Whatever's going to happen will happen. These are the party days, Matt. Indeed, I don't quite understand your reference, but yes. <laughs> now, Pete, you're such a great co-podcaster, but I know the truth, Pete, is that I am the 
I am the Thor in so many ways, but when it comes to the lady listeners, you are the Loki. So why don't you go ahead and give your personal, uh, uh, <laughs> give your personal Twitter so that uh, your fan base might grow and grow. I might get my fans all a Twitter. Yes, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J, Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. And certainly proof, Pete, that, uh, you know, as you're as you become, dare say, a, a, a Twitter icon, you know, I'm, I'm you know, nobody does it alone. I'm, I'm glad to be here kind of uh, hanging on to your tugging at your at your cape, your green cape, as you might say. But uh, for those of you who'd like to, to get to know me better on Twitter, I'm Looking Back Lost. It's spelled like looking and back and lost, but all together. So, Pete, that's all I have to say. I will say, uh, well, I don't know how to say goodbye in any Norse tongues, so I'll just say mjörmjör and pretend that that's Norse-ish for goodbye. And uh, I'll talk to everybody next week. Pete, give us your fantastic ending. Goodbye. I just got back.